Good, good morning, everyone. So uh, we are going through the series, <clears throat> Woman in the Bible. And um, I, today, you know, we switched things around because I, I've been praying, and I think this particular passage uh, really just stands out to me, and one that, uh, you know, we have to, I was just thinking through, and as much as I had another message planned out earlier in our series, we went backwards because um, I really wanted to highlight uh, this woman, um, Leah, and that's what we're going to go through today. And <clears throat> because I think as we go through the scriptures, we see that there's some parts, you know, when we talk about things in this 10-week series, we don't want to be repetitive to a certain degree. But at the same time, I think today's message as we look at Leah is, is going to be one that, you know, uh, hopefully resonates and hopefully uh, encourages us because it's titled um, today, The Woman That Was Unloved. The Woman That Was Unloved. You know, I, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I know for myself, growing up, I had a, you know, I had family, my parents, and I was the youngest of three kids. And there was a huge age gap um, between my brother, my older brother, and, and myself of eight years. Um, it's not that big when I look at my dad and his, like he's the youngest of a family of six kids. and between the, th the first three daughters, the third daughter and him as being the last son was 20 years difference, you know? So I was like, whoa, you know, how do you, it's not big. It's like, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, that's not that big. But for me, it's eight years. Um, but I think, you know, when I grew up in that way, and I, I, and I love my parents, you know, and I, I think, you know, they grew up in a, they were, they grew up in a different generation, different time period, and even when I mentioned that 20 years difference, you know, they experience, you know, things that, <clears throat> uh, that I, I mean, it just blows my mind, you know, it blows my mind that, you know, by the time <clears throat> he was escaping communist China, his family, that, you know, they left the older, the second sister in Shanghai, and they just left, you know, she was already 18, and so she, you know, she was already there, uh, the, the oldest one was married, and so, do you know, just thinking that, you know, that hearing those stories, you know, how they, would, they left uh, the younger two sisters there and <clears throat> that were 18 and 20, along with the oldest sister married, and then, and they just fled, you know? Um, and that gives a backdrop to me as I gotten older to understand because <clears throat> as I'm sharing this story because when I think about the woman that was unloved, I think for many years in my life, especially my childhood, you know, that was one that I felt, man, I didn't know if I felt like my, I knew my parents loved me, but at the same time, they, one, they never really spoke of it, and two, you know, there are times they joked around about things, and I, I think that in our family tradition of not being Christian, and, and my parents, like, their, their tough life in the beginning is that, you know, they said, like, oh, there's, there's a brother between you and your sister, you know, and I was like, oh, do you know that we may not have kept you if grandma was like, didn't advocate for you to stay and to be, you know, kept. And, you know, I think about that and I'm just like, man, well, one, why would you ever tell your kids this? You know, like, I don't, I don't want to know, you know. Um, but that has laid of, you know, and I, and I love them and I know that that part of their thought was, and I give this backdrop because this message to me was one that really just kind of, you know, spoke to me and <clears throat> because I, for many years, I just felt, wait, did my mom, did my parents, do my parents love me? Do you know, was I wanted? You know, you could easily say the woman that was unwanted. 
right? And that's what we're going to look today, and we're going to look at the passage, and the two things that <clears throat> we're going to bring up is how she had unseen worth. And last, and the next one, the effects of favoritism and jealousy, right? We're going to look at this passage, and we're, I want us, you know, most of the time we focus on the story of Jacob, right? Him and his life, how he married Leah and Rachel, but today, you know, because we're going through this series, I want us to have that perspective of trying to see through the eyes of Leah, right? Imagine yourself not of this main character, Jacob, and Leah's a wife that comes along, but rather imagine yourself in Leah's shoes, right? And that's what we're going <clears> to <throat> kind of look at today as we go through the verses. And we're going to skip some verses just, for, just, just to make it a little bit shorter. I know we have that town hall and everything else that's happening after service. Let me read with me Genesis 29, verses 16 onwards. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a young, lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, the backdrop of this is Jacob escapes, right? He's running away from his brother. He's running away from his brother and his family because he's stolen their birthright, stolen the inheritance, and he's afraid that his, his brother will kill him. He runs away to Laban, who is his mother's brother. Okay, he runs to him. He's been with him for a month, and part of the, the, the first verse of 15 is that you've been with me a month, and you've been working for free. What would you want? And, and Jacob says that right here, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So that's the context. He runs away from his family. He works for Laban. And Laban, his uncle, says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Excuse me. Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make, lo make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his serpent Zippah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is, not, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's <clears throat> bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. <clears throat> but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. 
Again, she conceived, and she gave birth to a, a, a son, she said. <clears throat> now at last my husband will attach to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he, he, he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she, would, so she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Right? This is a, a, a heavy story, you know, of, of this woman that was unseen and worth, unwanted, perhaps unloved. Right? The first description of Leah is that she had weak eyes. Right? We don't know what this is. We don't know if it's like you can't see as well. We don't know. But what's interesting is that the way that this is written and how it's compared to Rachel, right, is that, you know, the, the author makes, makes it very clear that Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful, right? So it's probably not just an eyesight thing. There's something about her, whether her looks or something, that <clears throat> when you look at this just in context, that perhaps Rachel was more beautiful, had a lovely figure, and Leah had something else. Right, was undesirable, unwanted. Right, and more than that, if you think about this, is that <clears throat> the father, when, she, when he came together after seven years, gave this feast, took his daughter Leah instead of Rachel. You know, I think in this whole seven years, perhaps, very <clears throat> perhaps that Leah already knew. So did Laban. Right, they knew that, you know what, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, right? Jacob was working for Rachel, but yet, you know, somehow Leah, either A, was complicit with, the, with this plan, but I think it also kind of brings up a deeper thing. It brings up a, a deeper idea that, you know what, Laban in those seven years could have been, I need to find a husband for my older daughter, right? Instead, he, did, he, he does this trickery to Jacob, and even more so that I think scripture is more clear <clears throat> the way that kind of the description of Rachel and Leah's understanding of their father is in Genesis 31 verses 14 to 16, right? As, as the, Rachel, Leah, and Jacob, as they're about to leave Laban, it says, they said they, to each other, do we still have any share in the inheritance of, of our father's estate? And this, uh, does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used us up for what was paid for us. Right? This idea that they were seen, they understood of themselves, of not someone that perhaps the father loved and cared for, but as even objects, as <clears throat> someone, to, someone that they sold for this inheritance for Jacob to work for them. Right? So that you could see Leah, perhaps, in this, set, in this setting, how she understood either her, this unwanted, this unloved feeling from her father. All right, when I think about this, you know, for most of my life, I've, like I said, mentioned, I wanted, I desired, I, I was working for my father's approval, my father's love. And it was, it's a wound that I believe that, you know, as much as I'm like, oh yeah, it's gone, it's still there. But at the same time, I know God has used it to, trans to hopefully move in my life with my sons, right? I remember when I've been taking care of my sons, and I, I'm not by any means, <clears throat> I complain quite a bit to Jenny, 
right? But there are times where I'm like, oh man, I'm so busy. I have to take care of, you know, most of the time it was Joel at that time. And then I remember God was like, wait, didn't you ask for this? And I was like, oh, I wish I had daycare. And then he's like, didn't you ask to spend time more with your kids? And it was these things that I think God was just moving in my heart, just like, how does that look like as I spend time with my children? For them to know that they're loved, that their father loves them, right? But for Leah, for her story, you could see hints of this, that she felt unloved, unwanted. And not only that from her father, but you see this in the story in Genesis, that <clears throat> this is also true. You know, perhaps she was imagining, when I get married, my husband will love me, right? Perhaps Jacob will love me. But it says clearly here <clears throat> that Jacob was in love with Rachel. And in, in so much so that seven years of work seemed only a few days to him, right, because of his love for her. And probably even more clear <clears throat> is that it says Jacob made love to, and that his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. You have to imagine Leah. Now, first, <clears throat> how she felt with her father. Next, how she felt with her husband. And lastly, if you think about it, how she felt with her sister, right? All this tension, all this trauma even. You know, to be with someone and knowing that that person loves your sister way more than she, he loves you, that he felt tricked, that he doesn't necessarily want to be with you. I think this gives a backdrop to this person, Leah, this woman that was unwanted, but what I want to bring up, <clears throat> and that really stands out, is that her unseen worth and what perhaps reading in between the lines of her relationship with God. Right, as it goes on, as he, <clears throat> as she is, as the Lord says, the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. He enabled her to conceive, right? And Rachel remained childless. In this way, you see Leah, as she becomes pregnant, she gives birth to four sons, right? The first three, she says, the Lord has seen my misery. The Lord has seen my misery. The, the Lord hears and knows. You know she's been crying out. She's been calling out. And what? <clears throat> Surely my husband will love me now. She gives the name Reuben to, right? The Lord sees, right, in that way. She conceives again, and she gives another, <clears throat> has another son, right? Because the Lord heard that I am not loved. You know, you see that this, it's, it's at least a year, you know, to go through pregnancy, to give birth. For her to go through this wrestling, first saying Reuben, you know, knowing that, no, the Lord sees me, my husband will see me. See me. Second, you know, Simeon, the Lord hears me. He will hear me. Jacob will hear, hear who I am. I'm present. I'm here. Again, she conceives, and last, lastly, Levi. My husband will attach to me because I've borne him three sons. 
You know, as, as you go through this and you go through these thoughts of, man, Le- Leah was, was really desiring that love. Desiring to be loved, desiring that if I have these children, I will be loved. That I will be seen, I will be heard, I will be attached. Right? That my husband will now see me in a different way, will love me. But in many ways, perhaps she, she didn't. You know, I think whatever we struggle with, whatever we wrestle with, sometimes, you know, we feel like this. It feels like we're going in circles, right? We're going in circles of like, you know, you think about Le- Leah having the first kid. Maybe, maybe things will be different again in a circle. And perhaps you may feel that way too in your own struggles and what you're going through. That, man, I've, God, I feel like I'm just in a circle, I'm going through this thing and I come back, straight back to the starting point. Where are you? What are you doing? But you see in this story, and what I want to highlight is this, is when she has her fourth son, right? When she has her fourth son, look at what she names her son. Now at last my husband, you know, with a Levi, she conceives again and when she gives birth to a son, this time, the son, <clears throat> this time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. You know, oftentimes, this is amazing, and I don't want it <clears throat> to slow down and, or to kind of just go by this really quickly. But the fact of this indirectly, you look at this, that three other children that she has, and the fourth one, this time she says, I will praise the Lord. You think that in her mind, in her relationship, that some things have changed. That she would name him Judah, and at that moment realize that she does not need the love of her husband, but rather that she has seen and heard and felt and known the love of her father, her heavenly father. You know what this picture when I wanted to show is what it feels like when you look top down is that you're going in circles in the struggles that you're going through. Back in a round and round that nothing changes. But perhaps, perhaps what we see in this life, in Leah's life, is that sometimes in our lives, even though we go through the same, we, we get through this and we think, oh, I'm going to get through it. That in reality, what's actually happening when you go three-dimensionally is that we're, we're actually progressing. You see her life as having these three children and then the fourth one, Leah, <clears throat> having Judah and saying, hey, I will praise the Lord. That her struggle and what she was wrestling with changed over time. Even though perhaps it might not feel that way. But what is actually happening many times in our lives when we struggle and we wrestle with what we feel like is the same thing over and over, perhaps when we step back and we see that God is actually moving and moving us, drawing us closer to him, sometimes feeling the desperation to cry out because perhaps sometimes we want everything in our own hands. We want to control everything. We want to realize, I can do this. Right, Leah, I can have these three, my husband will finally recognize, see me, hear me, 
be attached. I can do this. Of perhaps letting go and saying, no, God has this. God loves me. What's really interesting in this, and I wanted in the beginning to have a poll, right? Because everyone perhaps wants to be a Rachel, someone that people want, you know, adores, wants you know, wants to be like, wants to be loved. But not many people may, perhaps wants to be a Leah. But this Leah, <clears throat> what we see is that it is her son that becomes the genealogy of Jesus. All right, Matthew 1 <clears throat> says the genealogy of Jesus, it goes Jacob, father, Abraham, father of Isaac, Isaac, father of Jacob, Jacob, father of Judah. And then Judah goes on. And then it goes on to all the way to Jesus. That as much as what Leah was going through, that Leah encountered, experienced this love, and perhaps may not have seen and known that Judah would be the one that would be <clears throat> the ancestor of Jesus, right? The lineage of Jesus. That her worth, God's plan, was always in place. But yet her struggle until that point to see, no, I am loved by my heavenly father. It's taken me many years and even continually, even now, of wrestling, knowing that I am loved. Knowing that I am loved by my family, by my, my, <clears throat> my parents, my siblings. Knowing that I'm loved by my heavenly father that he sees your worth, he loves you. If you feel that way, this is a message to me that I wanna encourage. If you feel unwanted, unloved, that you see in this story that Leah encounters and experiences a heavenly father in ways that she is loved and known. Next, I want to just, you know, <clears throat> it's quick. But I also want to mention the second point, the effects of favoritism and that same coin, jealousy that produces. As we go on in verse, <clears throat> chapter 30, the next chapter, I'm just going to verse 1 and verse 4 and 6. Rachel sees that, she <clears throat> that she's not bearing any, bearing Jacob any children, and she became jealous of her sister. Right, so she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Right, and this is serious. You know, she's the, imagine having four kids come through and she's wrestling. And if, <clears throat> if you guys have ever, if anyone, and for those who are college students coming through, is that, you know, I remember when we wrestled with wanting to have a family and unable to at that time. And just waiting, waiting. And imagine for her, she's waiting for years too. And she gets to this point that she tells Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And he responds later on. But what does he do? And this is what Pastor Larry was mentioning uh, in a few messages ago. A common thing that they give their servants to, to their husbands. At, you know, and if their servants have children, they will kind of inherit it. This will be their child. right? And he, she does that. She gives her servant, Bilhah, to, as a wife. Jacob sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And then the way that Rachel says, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. And she names him Dan. 
You know, this whole story continues on, and then we'll skip some of it later, is that, you know, the, the, her servant has two, two children, and then Leah then feels this, like, wait, this competition. Leah gives Jacob, you know, her servant, and she has two, she has two other kids, all right? And you see this, this, you know, four other kids from the servants, right, of Rachel and Leah. And at the end, you see this verse right here, Rachel, right, in this part. Rachel's servant, Bill, conceived again, bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel says, I have a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. Man, this is comp- favoritism, competition, jealousy, all rolled into together, Right? You see that these names, and I want to take a step back. Imagine, oh, I'm sorry, you can't see that. Judah, we already mentioned their names, right? But Dan, you know, <clears throat> we'll just say right now what we just saw earlier, right? I've, I've won the struggle, right? You see these names of, of, of these children, whether it's God sees, God hears, you know, I'm attached, right? God, God sees my wrestling, you wonder, man, what are the children thinking? Do you know this, this, it's not just this favoritism, this, this, this competition between two sisters, but it has also, I, I, you know, I believe, weaved into the story of the, of the brothers and of the sons. You know, you see this <clears throat> in ways that, you know what, there are, there are huge effects of favoritism, of jealousy that the story speaks to. You know that, that this, this has brought <clears throat> disagreement, disunity into their family. It goes on, the story goes on. They don't, he doesn't only have eight, he has more, right? And I won't go too much into it. But Reuben, the, the eldest, he has, he goes and collects these mandrakes, these plants, that also, you know, are, are ways that, you know, kind of helps people to conceive in that, in that time. So he brings home a bunch, and then, and as he brings home, Rachel says, hey, give me some, right, to, to Leah. And Leah responds to this, verse 15. He says, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you also take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then the Lord, Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. I don't even, you know, like I don't even want to go into the last part. Like God, re, I don't even think that God rewarded. But you see that there's this tension, that this, this competition between the two sisters their sons are involved, right? <clears throat> and then that, that it isn't enough. You know, the family isn't enough, right? For Leah, for Rachel, they have, <clears throat> they c- compete in this way. And finally, and I'll just kind of, they have, you know, in total 12 sons, okay? It's a card's the last one. Zebulun, you know, there, it goes on Joseph, 
and then Benjamin, right? Rachel actually, at the very end of the story, has Joseph and Benjamin. You see this, and you imagine the dysfunction in the household, in the people, in the interactions, in the love and the care. Right? You see that, and even as the story continues on in Genesis all the onwards, about Joseph, how his brothers sold him to slavery, right? How they betrayed him and they, they told their father, no, he died. You see this all kind of, kind of the seeds of all this, starting from Leah and Rachel. Are the effects of favoritism, of jealousy, are endless. Now this just touches upon this a little bit, but it is a time where for all of us to ask, how has that been? Are there ways that we perhaps favor certain people over others? Are there ways that we're jealous, you know, that, that brings upon competition with one another rather than celebrating? You know, you would hope <clears throat> that when I showed this figure that it just kind of spins off and you're, you're done, right? But what we see in Leah's life, even though at child number four, when, he sa- when she says, I will praise the Lord, Judah, that, later, that the competition is still continues, that what God is doing in our lives doesn't just end. You know, sometimes we feel like, oh, I just finished this struggle, I wrestled, and I see this end, the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm done, I'm good. But sometimes what we see in, in these stories in our lives is that God con- continuously molds us, shapes us, so that we would fully depend and trust and see him. The story of Exodus later on, you see that all the time, this is a pattern right? That they, <clears throat> God takes them out of this slavery. They gives them, takes them into the wilderness, brings them to the promised land. And what happens? They're like, oh, I don't have water. God gives them water. Then they go, well, I don't have meat. God gives them meat. And they go, I don't have water. It's over and over. And sometimes it's easy to point fingers and say, well, how do they not know? How do you not know, Leah, that God hears, sees, knows you. But she's not very different than many of us in our own struggles and what we go through. But I think this is what gives me much comfort. As we, much, as we look into the lives <clears throat> of the 12 sons, and at the very end, we will see, right, that it is Jesus that comes out of this. God works through all of this for his plan, his glory. That he works in ways that even when they were together in Egypt, he brings them all together. He brings reconciliation even in what is broken and what <clears throat> has been dysfunctional. That he brings together and he creates this nation from this 12 sons, right? 
that God is a God who sees, who sees our worth and can redeem even the brokenness of favoritism, of jealousy. But it is something that perhaps we have to let go and let him transform and work in our lives. You know, a man that, that <clears throat> perhaps that experienced this, that shows up, is the reason why we are able, that we are able to know that God will enable us to overcome. And as Isaiah 53, verses two onwards, you know, prophesies of a Messiah, <clears throat> and you see that Jesus understood this. It says he, in this is prophesying about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom, from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That Jesus experienced the same <clears throat> feeling of what Leah felt, that he had no beauty, majesty that just drew, but yet he lived this life perfectly with his father and surrendered, pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. In John 1, it speaks of him in this way that the world did not recognize. He was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to, all, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus was the ultimate picture of Leah in ways that he, as he was unrecognized, disowned, suffered, that he lived out his life so that what? So that we would have the right to become children of God. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name. And notice what they said, not born of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This unseen worth of Le Leah is seen by God, is known by God. These children that perhaps their names were given in negative ways, perhaps. Right? Most of the time we think, oh, they're, we're giving our ch children name of things that we're happy about. But no. Imagine their names, but they see that they're known and loved by God that they were brought together, that they became, their offspring became this, in the story of God, the redemptive story 
of the Messiah into us here. I want to end with this last note. That it is interesting at the very end. Rachel dies in verse in Genesis 35, and you know we're skipping out. When Rachel dies giving childbirth to Benjamin, it was on the way to Bethlehem, and she is just buried there, right? Over the tomb, Jacob sets up a, pier, a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. In Genesis 49, it talks about <clears throat> when Jacob dies, right? He says this to his children. He says, then he gave the, Jacob gave these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were buried. There Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, were buried. And there I buried Leah. Right, you see that at the very end, you see this. And I don't know what it exactly it means. There's no commentary. But I think, you know what? I, Leah is upholded, upheld in honor, buried next to the ancestors, and, and recognized in that way. Recognized finally by her husband. And as much as sometimes we think, man, I want to be seen, known, loved, wanted. That at least in God's plan, number one, the Messiah comes through Leah's offspring. Number two, it is Leah that is now buried in this tomb with Abraham in honor of their whole family, in recognition. And sometimes in our lives when we might not see that end. We have to trust and know that God, he knows, and he has a plan for you. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the story of Leah, Lord. That the times where we feel we may feel unloved, unwanted. May we, Lord, praise you. May we know that you love us, that you hear us, that you hear our cries, that you draw us towards you, that nothing else in this world will satisfy, that it is, <clears throat> that we will be disappointed when we realize what we always wanted will not live up to give us the real satisfaction that only you can provide. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Lord. Lord, that we have this opportunity to believe, to receive him, and to be called your children. To be known, drawn to you, loved by you. To love you. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray in the struggles that we go through, may we see how you are growing us. May we see, Lord, how you are drawing us closer to you. That it is not just endless circles, 
but rather a spiral moving towards you. So Lord, help this time of worship. Lord, not just be a time of just speaking of words and singing a song, but Lord, let it be, Lord, time to cry out the things of our hearts that you hear that may, perhaps no one else in this room will know. But that you know, that you can comfort, that you are there, Lord. So Lord, thank you, Lord. Draw us to you. In Jesus' name.